Welcome to this Texas Sports Nation podcast, the Texans edition. I'm Brooks Cabina, joined with Brian T. Smith, sports columnist at uh, the Houston Chronicle. It is time to talk about the draft in a past tense. We previewed it for a while, and now we've got players to talk about. And it was a fairly exciting week for the Texans, who had two first-round picks, ended up with nine total new players. So we'll go ahead and just go in right into it. Uh, they drafted Derek Stingley number three overall. Kenyon Green, uh, they traded back from 13 to 15. Texas A&M guard out of uh, Texas A&M there. And Brian, you were there out at Miller Outdoor Theater, saw uh, a lot of the fans that were there in the draft party that the Texans held. You were, you got a sense of the energy. What, what, would, what did you see from uh, the fans out there and the response to those picks? It was, it was positive. It, it was encouraging and refreshing to – hear positivity about the Texans. Now, you know, this all has to play out and uh, I'll let the other people give grades, the A's or B's or C's or D's or F minuses or whatever. But uh, it was nice. I, the Texans did a really nice job putting all this together. I was, I was very sincere and complimenting complimenting from that. It, it, it's uh, it actually should be a reminder for other teams. It's not that hard when you're a billion dollar, multi-billion dollar franchise to do something free and open to the public and invite people in and get them to, you know, rebuy into what you're doing. And it reminded me a little of what the Astros did in 2013 and 2014 when they were trying to get everybody back on board. Uh, so it was, it was cool being around that, watching it put together. And, and obviously Stingley was a surprise in some ways, uh, but the the general feel that I got and Brooks, you wrote about it a ton in the Chronicle and did a great job covering everything was that, hey, we're, we're starting to see the beginnings of the next phase of Nick Casario's master plan for the Texans. Yeah. And I, I, it was interesting to see Stingley pick three overall. I mean, that shows how dumb I am after five draft mock drafts. I had Ika McQuanu, uh thought they would go offensive line, but uh, they had their choice of any offensive lineman, any wide receiver they could go the field after um, after Trayvon Walker went number one and then Aiden Hutchinson went to the Lions at two. And, I mean, in some terms, Derek Stingley, I think, if he had been healthy the last couple of years, it would be less of a reach in the view of people. So uh, what I thought was interesting, Dick Casario said that throughout the organization, there was a consensus on picking Stingley. He was their guy. They had done extensive research on him. So medically, he's cleared. You watched him at the pro uh, pro day, and he had a uh, he had a four three forty, and he, he he's moving well. And uh, I know Texans fans are all familiar, as you are, uh, Brian, uh, about the uh, Liz Frank injury because that's what knocked Matt Schaub out of a what could have been a very deep postseason run for the Texans back back in twenty eleven. But um, it, it, it's something that he's recovered through. Um, he's he's ready to go, and it's a position of an extreme need for the Texans and. Uh, they enter the offseason with Desmond King and Lonnie Johnson as their projected cornerbacks, and neither of them had really had much success there. And Desmond King is a career slot corner who just moved there out of necessity. So now that they picked Derek Stingley, and, and some people might have hoped for Sauce Gardner out of Cincinnati, but I mean, Derek Stingley, having covered him at LSU, and Brian, I know you're from Louisiana too. I mean, watching what he's able to do, his. His scheme plays well both in man press and in zone. And Lovey Smith really likes players who are instinctive, who like to tackle, who are, are good at reading the quarterback and knowing what an offense is going to do. That's Stingley's wheelhouse. I mean, he was a studier of game 
a person of the game. His father um, played um, football uh, in college and had a chance with a couple of training camps, was really more of a baseball player. And obviously his grandfather, uh, Daryl Stingley, um, who was uh, paralyzed in kind of a tragic hit uh, from Jack Tatum back in 1978. And Brian, you wrote about that in a really nice context of what they see for Derek Stingley going in. And, and I'm, just to give you a chance to talk about that. Yeah, Brooks, there are two parts about Stingley that, you know, immediately fascinate me. And, you know, we could spend an hour getting into the last two years at LSU and everything that affected that program. And he obviously was, I'm sure, affected by that. Uh, you know, you're an elite player. You know you're going in the top five, the top ten in the NFL after your freshman year. And then your program's down, your team's down, you have a coaching change, you're, you're not playing for the national title. All the, you're a human being. All those things affect you. The thing with Stingley, number one, that very much interests me is what Nick Casario and the organization, because they said it was basically unanimous, saw during his freshman year, right? Because you're not taking him because of the last two years. You're taking him because you're projecting in his freshman year, which was the greatest year in LSU history, and in some ways, one of the greatest years in the history of college football, he was phenomenal with just an unbelievable upside. And you're going to take him at number three when you need so many things, and he's a cornerback. You know, he's not, he's not a safety. He's not an offensive tackle. You don't take cornerbacks at number three unless you believe that he's going to be an all-pro. You know what I mean? He, and, he's going, and he has the character and the personality and the perseverance and all those things. So that interests me that it really was his freshman season that was still catching their eye two years later. And the second part of that is, yes, that you look at his family history, and, and I know you're working on you know, an even bigger store right now, but you look at the, the bloodline, the, the history that family has, specifically for football, and his grandfather, Daryl Stingley, his father, who spent a lot of time in the Arena Football League. If, if you're playing in the Arena Football League and you're in the and you were drafted in Major League Baseball and you're playing in the Phillies farm system and you were, you know, whatever, trying out for NFL teams, you clearly, clearly had athletic talent. His father's been a coach. So you're talking about at least three grandfather, father, and now Derek Stingley, where football is a huge part of your life. And then you throw in the fact that in 78 with the Jack Tatum hit. Uh, you know, his grandfather became a, a quadriplegic and everything that that family had to endure and persevere through. And and I'm sure, uh, you know, just affected them in unthinkable ways. You're talking about a lot of strength. You're talking about a lot of perseverance, a lot of character. So, so many things go into taking Stingley at number three. But I'm looking at his freshman season and the family, you put those two things together, that was clearly enough for Nick Casario to say, hey, this this guy is special, and he could become really special in the NFL. Yeah, and Stingley will start immediately. Um, they, they'll plug into this defense with Lovey Smith, uh, who, who's – and one of the things that you were mentioning, like his dad being an arena uh, football coach, uh, Derek Stingley Jr. was out there – getting taped up and practicing with these arena players at the age of pretty much five, six, seven years old. So he's been around the game for a long time. He understands football. He'll be plugging in um, quite well after a pretty phenomenal career at LSU that was uh, hit a little bit by injuries the last two years. But uh, the other thing that you can also see is that it's shaping up a little bit at that position because uh, they signed Steven Nelson, a seven-year veteran who, who will compete for the opposite starting position. And they just traded Lonnie Johnson 
to the Chiefs for a conditional seventh round pick in 2024. So that position group is starting to take shape. We'll see if Desmond King, who played cornerback last year, might slide down into slot and compete with Tavier Thomas. But Jalen Petrie, who was picked in the second round out of Baylor, he played safety and slot corner. Um, one of the most he played more slot corner snaps at Baylor than at safety. So maybe he can be a, a dynamic person within that defense. And that kind of leads into uh, what we'll close with here. I mean, the Texans draft uh, all the way from top to bottom. You know, they got Jalen Petrie in the second round. They traded up for John Mechie, wide receiver out of Alabama. And then they traded up to get another Alabama linebacker, Christian Harris, who, funny enough, is from Baton Rouge as well. So grew up 10 minutes away from Derek Stingley. He's about a, a dynamic linebacker who can play, um, you know, in drop and coverage. He ran a 4-4 in the 40 uh, for the – NFL combine. They picked Damian Pierce out of Florida in the fourth round. Their running back they got Thomas Booker. They traded up uh, in the fifth round to get, and he is an inside defensive tackle who can help them with pressure up the middle out of Stanford. And then they evened it out uh, tight end Tegan Quateriano out of Oregon State who can help them on the edge to block. And then Austin Deculus was their last pick in the sixth round out of LSU, um, offensive tackle who played the most games in LSU history might give them some death across an offensive line that really needs it. So out of out of those last bits, it looks, Brian, like the Texans have addressed a lot of the needs that they had. Which of those stick out to you? You're immediately seeing for, for Petrie that he could be very, very impressive. Um, and I, I, I'm just to be honest, I mean, I, I knew him from, you know, playing in the Big 12, et cetera. But that wasn't a name going into the draft that I was like, oh, my gosh, Dickens got him. But if you have Stingley, you have Petrie, and you can basically remake your secondary in the first 40 picks with all the picks they still have in the the coming years, if, 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 but if that works out, we'll look back and say, hey, you know, that was the beginning of the change on defense. The the one that I'm the most intrigued about just because um, of the big game and the potential and the talent to change the offense is, is Mechie. I mean, there was a point where he was Alabama's best receiver and it was huge when he went down. And we spent a lot of time right leading up into the draft talking about Jamison Williams. But they, again, much like Stingley, they they saw enough when he was healthy to say this was one of the best players in college football. There's still a huge upside in the NFL. Casario, who doesn't, I mean, Casario will praise, but he doesn't give lofty praise. You're ultimately, you're just a player until you prove stuff in the NFL uh, in his eyes, which I agree with. He had some pretty strong praise for Mechie and what he was able to do and, and how special of a person he is as well as an athlete. So that's the pick to me that really caught my eye that when they made that, I was just like, Hey, you know, that, that, that could end up being a very, very smart pick for them. If it pans out in the NFL. Well, we will have plenty more to talk about once they get into rookie camp and more OTAs later in May, early June. A lot of players that are going to be expected to contribute significantly, if not start right away. And, uh, you know, what's interesting too, Kenyon Green, who plays offensive guard, that's what Casario thinks he'll be doing. Titus Howard, they exercised a fifth year option with Titus Howard, which means he'll be under contract through 2023, which brings stability to the offensive line in a way that we have not seen for many years with the Texans. Bill O'Brien was so desperate to get a star left tackle. Uh, that he traded two first-round picks in part of a package trade for Laramie Tunsil. So that turnstile offensive line starts to look a little stable. Laramie Tunsil back, left tackle, through two years. Kenyon Green's up to five years at left guard. Justin Britt at center was re-signed on a two-year deal, and they signed 
uh, a veteran right guard in AJ Can from Jacksonville plays right guard. Uh, he's on a two-year contract in Titus Howard. If he plays right tackle, even though the Texans aren't really saying much about where he'll play, he should definitely play right tackle. He was best at that position, and he's under contract for two more years. So that's a major pick. Uh, it might have been a little bit of a reach for some who thought they might have been in range to take a Kyle Hamilton or others, but they were thinking about trading back, and they would have missed out on Kenyon Green. A lot of offensive linemen were picked between 15 and 20. So uh, lots more to talk about on that. And we'll have more rookie coverage later in May. So uh, again, thanks for listening. This is Brooks Gamina. You can follow me at B-K-U-B-E-N-A. Brian Smith, you can follow me on Twitter at Cron Brian Smith. Thanks for reading, listening, and watching.